All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on the 10th day of July, 2018. I want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel, and I want to invite you to keep Sending along your questions, comments, criticisms, and praises to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for this week are RN Resources, Belmoral Resources, Bonterra Resources, Genesis Metals Corp., Klondike Gold Corp., Northern Empire, and Novo Resources. Regarding our responses, I should note that Klondike Gold released a few assays today that I think are very positive in that they demonstrate the presence of disseminated gold beyond the high-grade quartz veins. That uh, potentially means that the mining costs could be significantly lower than if they had to mine narrow veins. So well, the market sold off anyway on the news, but from my point of view as a longer-term investor rather than a quick-buck speculator, I think the news is very positive and uh, this company remains Uh, one of my top picks. Uh, Another favorite, Novo Resources, also put out news today that it is not the kind of news, though, that drives stock prices, but is important nonetheless. Uh, Novo reported that it has reached an agreement with the Aboriginal tribe uh, with regard to that very extremely large land position that Novo controls. So not the kind of announcement that drives the share price, but very important nonetheless, and I do hope to have some market-driving news uh, from Novo. Uh, primarily, I'm looking forward to the bulk sample assays. Uh, and at that time, hopefully, Quentin Henning will be able to join me on this show as well. Well, I've titled today's show, The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming. Jeff Clark, Dale Ginn, exploration geologist at Bonterra Resources, and Michael Oliver are this week's guests. John Kerry warned Wall Street that if the Iranian treaty were torn up, the U.S. might find the dollar hegemony under attack. And lo and behold, just yesterday, news was announced the big three countries in Europe, England, France, and Germany, have agreed with Iran to commence trading with that nation without using the dollars as a medium of exchange. Uh, And after President Trump abandoned the Iranian agreement, Russia sold one half of the U.S. Treasury holdings that they held. Perhaps it would be more accurate to say that the Russians are going rather than coming, that is, going out of the dollar, because in one month alone, April, that is the month of April, Russia sold one half of its holdings of U.S. Treasuries, taking it from $100 billion to $50 billion. 
Well, we'll explore uh, Russia, uh, their treasuries, the dump of treasuries, and other related issues with Jeff Clark to get, to get a read on what, if anything, that might mean for the major markets. But before we talk to Dale Ginn after the first break and uh, Jeff Clark, I'm happy to tell you that our most frequent guest, Michael Oliver, is back with me again today uh, to give us an update on uh, what his structural momentum models are telling him. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Good to be back, Jay. Always good to have you back, and um, I sh- it's always good to tell my listeners, it's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com, to uh, subscribe to Michael's letter and to catch up with what he's, what he's doing. Well, Michael, yesterday you put out a really interesting message. Uh, most of them are always interesting. I, I always find them helpful, uh, especially those markets that I'm most involved in and care most about. But this was a message that was titled, The Earth Beneath Your Feet is Moving. Are you suggesting a tectonic movement for the markets? And if so, which markets are having their foundations shaken by tectonic movements? Well, they all are, but the, the, the one that is probably the most confusing to most investors is the stock market, especially the developed stock markets, U.S., Europe, so forth. Where there's a lot of sideways congestion for the last five, six months, up, down, up, down, up, down, you know, with no real, uh, nothing but wheel spinning. But it won't break down. Uh, I, I think there's reason for that. But within, we do a lot of work within sectors, within markets, and not just look at the price or the momentum of price of a given market, but its relationship to other assets. So we run spreads. Now, spreads are, are common. You see them often. Uh, with, most of the time what they do is they overlay a price chart of one uh, company and another company, and you see them go off in different directions. That's not what we do. We, we divide one into the other and come up with one single line, okay? Mm-hmm. So that's the spread. It's the difference between mm-hmm. stock A, stock B, or sector versus the broader market, which is what mm-hmm. we looked at the other day. And we ran all the major sectors of the S&P 500 against the S&P 500, and naturally, uh, since 2016 lows, uh, anybody could guess that the outcome is that tech led the way up. It was the outperformer. That uh, Internet led the way up. And finances also led the way up. They peaked uh, in terms of performance uh, several months ago. And they've had a very hard down hit in the financial sector relative to the S&P. Mm-hmm. And what's so funny recently is that uh, now also on the other side of that equation are sectors that underperform during up markets, and mm-hmm. those would be things like utilities, consumer staples, and this time around, healthcare. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, like the XLV uh, ETF has gone down for the last two and a half years relative to the S&P. In other words, on a spread mm-hmm. basis, it's not sure. gained as much. Okay, mm-hmm. so we had three that were underperformers for the last two and a half years, and three, PNQI, the Internet, uh, XLK, the tech sector ETF, and uh, VFH, the financial sector ETF. We ran spreads on those. And the three that were, have been outperforming are weakening. Now, some of them are nearing levels that could totally break the two-and-a-half-year trend down, meaning they're not just weakening versus the S&P within the context of an uptrend. They're breaking the uptrend. Mm-hmm. So not far away. And what's so curious is that over the last several-week rally in the S&P, the spreads have been going the wrong way in all six of those different spreads. Hmm. The three underperforming sectors, consumer staples, healthcare, and utilities, have been rising in relative performance to the S&P, while tech, Internet, 
and financials have been going down relative to the S&P. That shouldn't be happening, especially not across the board like that, mm-hmm. uh, which tells me that the leaders aren't leading this rally. It's the, it's the dogs of the market. So this, the defensive plays are leading this rally. People are buying more defensive stocks than they are the S&P. So mm-hmm. that's a curious technical phenomenon. That's why I said the earth is moving under your feet. It's not in front of your eyes. Yeah. It's happening under your feet where you're not looking. Yeah. And I think that spread uh, relationship has to be watched, and we're watching it week by week in each of those six different sectors. Because if we get a uniform shift in enough of that, that group of six, three, three defensive sectors, three outperforming mm-hmm. sectors, then I think that's going to be a, a ta- heavy tap on the shoulder that the market's ready for the next mm-hmm. big down wobble. Mm-hmm. The first one was in February, and since then they've sort of gone numb. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one, I think, will be more serious. But mm-hmm. that spreads are warning that something's not right. Oh. Well, some people might argue that that's just natural rotation, that, uh, that that's a healthy sign, in fact, that you know, you need to have this uh, soil turned over, so to speak. Yeah, we'll see. Okay, but uh, but, <laughs> I, but your, your sense is, yeah, yeah. well, it, I mean, you know, uh, people believe what they want to believe, and, and, yeah, uh, right. but, you, but you're suggesting that this is very unusual. Yeah, I'm saying that this is happening at a curious time, and also the technical structure of these spreads, if you plot them, and then plot mm-hmm. the momentum of the spreads as well. You mm-hmm. see vulnerability. In other words, you see trend structures right below them, such that if they sneeze, oh, yeah. the outperforming ones will break the two-and-a-half-year uptrend of outperformance. Uh-huh. The underperforming oh. ones will break out above the two-and-a-half years of downtrend uh, in relative performance. And those, those reversals like that are, are you don't know, I, I would need, I, I can say this confidently, if all those six turned, I don't even need to look at an S&P chart. Uh-huh. Interesting. It's go down. Okay. Well, I mean, this so, is uh, obviously your subscribers on a regular basis will get this information as it becomes yeah, they, available. They, they and this is just, constantly. just another example of the, of the kind of uh, work that Michael does and the, and the reason I just love to keep up with what he's doing. Michael, we have a, a couple of minutes left yet, but um, what about the gold markets now? How are they looking to you? Stabilized. Uh, I like uh, some of the action last week did some good to some short-term indicators. The downtrend has been underway since a, a really uh, monthly momentum peaked in January of this year. So we've had six months of downside pressure, and usually when you measure via monthly momentum, that's about all you get. And uh, then, therefore, what we did is we shifted down to weekly momentum to see signs of upturn, credible up, upside breakage to, to the upside, not just mm-hmm. rallies, but rallies that break out over something. And uh, if you can close this week out, uh, we got high enough intra week to look good. You can close the week out around uh, 1261 or so on the August gold. I think you put your shoulder up over the curbstone. You're through. Uh, mm-hmm. The downside's over. And we're trading, you know, in the, in the mid-1250s right now. Our high's been 1266.90 the other day. So we've traded at levels this week that if we could just hang in here and close up in the upper five bucks of the weekly range, mm-hmm. uh, I think you're making a turn. Mm-hmm. And the question then is, well, let's say you're making a turn. How fast do you get back to the highs? It's probably a function of some other markets as well. Sure. You know? Sure. Well, I mean, I'm looking at uh, in the cash market, 1255 now. I noticed at 1265 mm-hmm. yesterday. 
So uh, I guess next week probably that number would come down, the, the number you yes, need to Yes, these numbers move adjust up. down each week. So, you know, yeah, so. what I want to see this week was a trade up to 1266. We got that, and that's, but I wanted to see also a weekly close over a certain level that was specified in the weekend report. And then that's, uh, we've seen that level this week. If we can just close the week out above it, then I've got two of my weeklies saying, okay, this is uh, the shoulders up over the curbstone. And uh, the low in the 1230s, was uh, that was it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, I, just, uh, I just need the weekly closing evidence to, uh, and, to make we, that we, we might be uh, having some wind at our backs, us gold bugs, I suppose, if the dollar weakens. And I, I noticed in your charts on the weekend, uh, the European financial sector and the, the euro currency seems to be uh, the euro currency seems to be in a stronger position, which I guess would bode not so well for the bulls of the dollar. Right. Well, the euro is over 57% of the dollar index. So right. it, is, it is the one that must move in order to cause the dollar to go up or down. And mm-hmm. the euro, of course, did move over since uh, late 2015, or excuse me, from 2016. Mm-hmm. Late 2016, it went from 104 to 125. Mm-hmm. Now, since then, it's backed up to 116. Right now, we're trading either side of 118. Mm-hmm. And we regard this pullback from the 125 level as a uh, as a corrective pullback in an uptrend, just like we regard the dollar rally from mm-hmm. 88 and change up to 95 and change to be mm-hmm. a counter trend rally. Right now, the dollar is trading either side of 94, high 93, mm-hmm. low 94s. So it's pullback. So and yet, uh, and yet, uh, all your work is suggesting that we're in for increases in interest rates, the long bond, and so forth, rising right. dramatically. Right. So. Right. Uh, right yet, now, uh, I, I still yeah. favor the bonds rallying, yields dropping a bit over the next, let's call it next month or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, ultimately, the major trend there is down in price for the T-bonds up in yields. We're having a counter-trend rally in T-bonds right now. We, mm-hmm. uh, actually, it's more of a period of stability than a rally. But uh, it, it's curious when it happened. When did it happen? It happened when the stock market wobbled hard. Right. So once the stock yeah. market showed vulnerability, the bond market stabilized. Why? Because obviously some money went from stocks into bonds. Right. Uh, ultimately, right. those who are buying bonds will regret it, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those temporary things that happens. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, uh, the markets um, exhale and inhale, as you point out. And, right. Uh, right. and sometimes uh, for a long period of time, it seems to do one more of the other. But uh, nonetheless, in the short term, it has to exhale inhale that's really all the time we have michael thank you so much for your insights thank you jay as always uh, always a pleasure to hear your your views on things because they are refreshingly different from the mainstream and what we hear every day so uh, it, it isn't always the case folks that you can get something that you can't get something for nothing you get a little bit of a teaser from michael for nothing when you listen to this show but frankly if you really want to take advantage of his work uh, you do need to go to OliverMSA.com and sign up for his excellent newsletter. Thank you so much, Michael. Look to do it Bye-bye, again next Jake. week if you're available. Okay, folks, well, don't go away because uh, coming up next, we're going to be talking to Dale Ginn. Uh, he's the exploration geologist. He heads up that team of exploration geologists at Bonterra. They're on to the discovery of what looks like a very major gold deposit. So don't go away. We're, we'll be talking to Dale Ginn right after the commercial break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
a gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike gold rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corps. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow KlondikeGoldCorp.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have Dale Ginn with me. He's a geologist and vice president of exploration for Bonterra Resources, and he's also a director of that company. Well, Nav Dalliwal was scheduled to be my guest today, but he's traveling, and so Dale, who is uh, really uh, closer probably to the day-to-day details of the exploration side than Nav, is with me, and I've known Dale for a number of years, so it's really a pleasure to welcome him again to this show. Thanks for joining me, Dale. Well, thanks a lot for having me, Jay. It's always good to talk to you. Um, Remember, many years ago, we were uh, talking about some projects that you were working on. I should tell our listeners, uh, it's uh, the the stock trades under the symbol BTR in Canada. You can buy it in the States under the symbol B-O-N-X-F, as I have. 228 million shares at about 31 cents U.S. when I looked a little earlier today, giving it a market cap of around 72 million in U.S. money. Um, well, since da- Nav Dalliwal was on this show in March, quite a few interesting things have taken place on the company's Gladiator project, uh, including a very, some very strong assays, a very positive metallurgical study, and an announcement that Bonterra will be, uh, at least there's an agreement between Bonterra and Metador uh, for Bonterra to acquire that company. So those are some of the things I want to ask you about, Dale. And uh, let's start with the metallurgical results, because as I recall, just looking at them, superficially anyway, they were very positive. Could you comment on the, the metallurgy for the Gladiator project? Sure. You know, um, what we've shown with, with the metallurgical studies is that it's a very clean, um, high-gravity milling type of, a, of an ore. So we were getting up to 77% in gravity recover, 
gravity recovery only. And then once you put, um, you know, you know, you kind of your standard flotation circuit in, you're getting to, uh, you know, up to 99%, but in the sort of 97 to 99% range overall. And no surprise to us, just, you know, visibly from what we saw of the, the ore, but basically what it means is it's a cheaper, cleaner type of, uh, of an ore to mill, and your standard uh, gold circuit will get up to 99%, and then, of course, with 75-plus percent in gravity, that mm-hmm. just requires a gravity circuit only without any uh, additional reagents or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also leaves open the possibility of just producing a, a concentrate and uh, having the ability to ship a concentrate to an ex- existing mill, uh, which would eliminate the need for cyanide um, on site. So it just le- you know it just gives us a lot of options, and it's going to be on the cheaper side, uh, you know, in terms of the processing costs. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe uh, when you mentioned the, the possibility of producing a concentrate and shipping it to the site, maybe now is a good time to ask you about the uh, the proposed or the the, um, uh, the talked about acquisition of Metanor Resources. I know that company well. Uh, I've had it in my newsletter. I've been on the project. I've been at the mill. Uh, how far is that mill from your project, from the Gladiator? Uh, it's a yeah. It's about a hundred kilometers, and. Um, uh-huh. We have uh, road access already uh, to to their mill site at the uh, Bachelor Project. Mm-hmm. So it's about 100 kilometers to the north of of our Gladiator, and uh, another deposit that Metnor has been developing called Barry mm-hmm. is only eight kilometers to the west of our of our uh, uh, Gladiator deposit. So they all tie in nicely together. Well, that's that's very interesting because I can tell you years ago there was some discussion. Uh, they they actually had sent some ore down to the mill from Barry down to their mill at Bachelor, and there was some discussion in those days of possibly doing a concentrate and sending the concentrate down to the mill because they were milling the high grade material right there um, at the Bachelor mine. So that's that's very interesting. I find that very interesting. Well. Uh, Dale, the, I guess it was just, what, a week or so ago, maybe two weeks ago, that the announcement came that uh, that there was an agreement. I think it's a friendly acquisition, as I understand it, um, with of Metanor Resources. It was to be purchased at 73 cents. I noticed the stock, Metanor stock is trading below that now, quite a bit below that. Does that make any sense? Um, not really. I, I think, you know, it's a quiet time, and, and we're both mm-hmm. juniors. So, you know, almost by design, I think it's a bit under the radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll come out, you know, in the fall with a very, very strong um, three de- three gold deposit, you know, three high grade gold deposit company that you know with an established mill, mm-hmm. um, which puts us leagues ahead of any of the competitors in terms of you know how soon can a deposit, a new deposit, get into production. In, in mm-hmm. that area. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Um, and it's my understanding that the mill at Bachelor Lake could probably be uh, be expanded fairly significantly with relatively low amount of CapEx. So 
anyway, this this made a lot of sense to me, especially when I realized that uh, that uh, a large shareholder of Metanor was uh, was Eric Sprott and, and Kirkland Lake, as is the case with uh, uh, with your company with uh, with Bonterra. And so it seems to me that maybe there's something bigger, you know, the, the somewhat mid-sized fish comes along and swallows a little guy, and then that fish gets swallowed up possibly by by somebody big like Kirkland Lake. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just dreaming, but this is something that looks very interesting to me, and it, it just seems like maybe there's something like that in the cards, but I, I suppose you can't comment on that. No, I mean, what we're doing is, like, obviously we have some very good, uh, common shareholders, right? With mm-hmm. Kirkland Lake, uh, Eric Sprott, Van Eck, and we've got the support of uh, of them in doing this deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, it's a job of uh, every junior to find and develop deposits and consolidate and de-risk projects, right? Mm-hmm. And sure, if someone with bigger, you know, bigger pockets and bigger capacities can come along uh that's that's fine right yeah it could be it, it looks very exciting to me and it's uh one more reason of, of many that i've personally thought it might be a good idea to own some shares of kirkland lake but that's another story completely well let me get uh let's let's get back to the gladiator project then back uh that you're working on and you know you have two hundred seventy-three thousand ounces uh grading 9.4 grams per ton and that was from dimensions of on strike 200 meters i believe and a depth 200 meters um you've been reporting since i last talked to uh, to your to your company when i talked to nav in, in march you've been reporting ongoing very strong very consistently on uh, strong assays uh, c- coming from the gladiator have those been mostly infill have there been some uh, some step outs there uh, and what has been the uh, the objective of the exploration project on the Gladiator since uh, since March. Well, sure, we we've been going strong. Uh, you know that first two hundred by two hundred meter long by two hundred meters at depth. Uh, uh, those that size really was a beginning, a starting point for us. We've now increased the size along strike to over one kilometer. And mm-hmm. we've drilled as deep as uh, 1.2 kilometers in depth. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the key thing, I think, is that we've had very consistent results. We've um, identified five parallel zones. And we've, you know, the bulk of the drilling's been now, since March, has been sort of targeting, you know, areas where there was less information to firm mm-hmm. up uh, a new resource that we uh, plan to uh, have out uh, sort of in the last half of this year. And, yeah, so overall dimensions, you know, you've got a kilometer long zone by, say, between 800, and a kilo- 800 meters and a kilometer deep, and then there's five different parallel zones within that. And, you know, you get uh, kind of average average widths of uh, about two meters mm-hmm. and a nice steep dip and concise um, contacts on these zones. So it's a very, you know, identifiable, des- definable vein style. 
mm-hmm. with good geometry. So it sets up very nicely for uh, an, a very efficient underground mining situation because, you know, ultimately with those five parallel zones, you'll have a high ounce per vertical meter count. Mm-hmm. Would we be wrong in suggesting that if you've got uh, dimensions five times greater uh, that you might expect something in the order of five times more in terms of ounces and, and some similar grades, if you have similar grades? Yeah, I, I mean, that's the kind of range for sure that we're looking at. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it would, and you're very near surface here too, aren't you? Yeah, the, the zones all start at surface, and mm-hmm. the bulk of what we have defined is so far is going to be above 500 meters deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, when do you so, expect you know, the yeah? Uh, you expect the resource, uh, Dale. When when do you expect to update this? I think it's in the last half of the year, sometime towards the end of the year. Last half of the year, uh, you know, October ish. It's just mm-hmm. kind of depending on, uh, you know, our, our consultant and how long it's going to take and um, when we cut off the data that goes into it. But definitely. Uh, you know, last half of this year in the October, October beginning of November time frame. Okay, now you've uh, just recently announced a uh, an option to acquire seventy percent of a project called of a, a property called the Duke property, which is contiguous with the Gladiator. Could you comment on that just a, just a bit? Do you how much do you know about that? And I'm assuming uh, you're that it probably strikes the. Uh, structures continue on to the Duke property, or at least that's the possibility? Yeah, I mean, that property was contiguous to the north and of our Gladiator uh, property, and then there was a indent that they had. We called it the gap, but basically, you know, you could, logically, you could project our own Gladiator zone towards that gap. So mm-hmm. by doing this deal we we allow ourselves to explore the both the uh, west extension of the gladiator deposit and the east northeast extension um, which go into the duke ground mm-hmm. and then the duke ground itself uh, is also very prospective there's a known deposit called um, was called zone 18 I think we're going to rename it to Two Lions, but mm-hmm. it looks similar to Gladiator and, uh, you know, smaller just because there's not much data at this point. Mm-hmm. But, sure. Um, the, you know, so it allows for us to spend the money um, and to further the property, and then by the Bowfield side retaining a portion, they... They obviously benefit from that as well. Mm-hmm. Speaking of money, how well funded are you? I, I think the last time we talked to Nav, he had enough money in the till to take you through this year and possibly uh, pretty far into next year. Is that still what you're seeing? Yes, that's 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 correct. We're mm-hmm. we're well funded through the resource and uh, beyond into next year at this point. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. So after you get the, what would be the next step? You're you're going to come up with a new resource. Uh, might there be some some economic studies done at some point in the near future, next year, sometime, perhaps? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next steps, you know, are going to be um, 
you know, PEA type economic analysis of the, of the resource that we put out. And, uh, then you'd go into sort of the positive valuation, bulk mm-hmm. sampling, put, you know, put some development in, underground development into it and mm-hmm. see it and, uh, you know, get some bulk sampling done. Um, you know, and this whole process is, is a lot more streamlined by us, um, sent effectively, you know, adding a mill to, to bond. Oh, yes, content. yes, indeed. Yeah, I mean, it, it all seems to come together, make a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense to me, Dale. I'm, I, I'm really excited for you. It looks like uh, you're on to something very significant here, obviously. And I don't think the market fully appreciates what you're doing. So I, that's why I think there's most certainly likely to be some some upside from the share price from these levels. And uh, I just wish you all the best. I, anything else you'd like to add before we conclude our discussion today? Uh, no, I, I just think we're doing, you know, I, I hope we're doing the, the proper, correct things that a, a junior, a successful junior should do, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of developing and new deposits and de-risking and consolidating land. It, it completely makes sense to me, and I, I think you're right. I think the market will, will, will understand by the fall and then uh, start to put it all together. Uh, I think so, too, and certainly it doesn't hurt to have uh, the likes of Eric Sprott and uh, Kirkland Lake behind you and, and some of those other names that you mentioned. Dale, thank you so much for being with us, and um, I hope that we can speak again sometime soon. A- anytime, Jay. All right. For sure. Uh, Likewise. Thank you, Dale. All right, folks. Well, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Jeff Clark to discuss why the Russians' rapid decline in U.S. Treasury holdings might be a significant event. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Jeff Clark. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Novo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold Project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm really pleased to have with me uh, once again Jeff Clark. He's an accomplished analyst, author, and speaker, and uh, he is a globally recognized authority in the precious metals. And, uh, well, his, uh, his father was a, an, an award-winning gold panner, for goodness sakes. So I guess he really is, uh, if, if, uh, if Jeff is a gold bug, I guess there's good reason for it. Um, and his family, he has, his family owned mining claims in California, Arizona, Nevada, so, uh, goodness, I mean, uh, I grew up in Ohio, the Buckeye State, and never got close to an ounce of gold until I started writing my own newsletter and traveling to places like California, Arizona, and Nevada. So, uh, Jeff, thanks for joining me again. It's really good to have you with me. It, it's great to be back with you again, Jay. And, and my father, unfortunately, is up in years now and did have to give up many of those claims. But lots of good stories that uh, we could go into someday about being out there and looking for gold and finding gold, so it was, it was yeah. a lot of fun. It would be a lot of fun to hear them, and uh, you're also very involved, I think you're a speaker at the Cambridge House, at Sprott Resources Events and so forth, Silver Summit. Uh, how, how can people catch up with you, because you write a lot of very interesting articles, which is why you're on this show today, I want to ask you about one of them, but how can people keep up with what you're, uh, with your work, Jeff? Um, it, it's pretty simple. Just go to goldsilver.com, and, and you'll see the various tabs up there for, you know, news and blog and things like that. And, and mm-hmm. my stuff usually shows up in both of those tabs. Um, mm-hmm. Usually have at least one educational uh, or informational article per month. You know, we try to do analysis with it, make it educational as opposed to just you know, reporting the news, which is sure. what I did with that article that you and I are going to talk about. But that's mm-hmm. the main portal to find everything. It's pretty simple. All right. And you mentioned that uh, uh, you, you mentioned that Mike Maloney, who's been a guest on this show on a couple of occasions, uh, that he has just done a new, I guess, a new video. Is that right? And so, uh, you saying the biggest presentation he's done yet. Could, he puts on some pretty, pretty informational, very, very informational uh, videos that I've seen in the past. Tell us about this one. This is Mike's, and I mentioned it to you deliberately because it is Mike's uh, biggest economic update in many years. Um, he was hunkered down uh, for several months with him and his team and doing research and all kinds of things. And it is a three-plus-hour <laughs> presentation on wow. his biggest economic update. It's called the Early Warning, Mike Maloney's Early Warning Report. Um, mm-hmm. It is a video. It's very well done. I, I've seen it, um, and the timing is excellent. It just came out today. Um, oh, okay. It covers stocks, bonds, cryptos, real estate, the U.S. dollar, and, of course, gold and silver. And there's just a plethora of information in this It's video. It's very, very much worth your time. There is a small cost to it uh, because of the amount of time and effort and expense that went into uh, producing it, mm-hmm. uh, but it is well worth uh, someone's time and, and investment. It's, it's uh, 
quite a project. So I encourage people, and that's right on our website as well, goldsilver.com, and you'll see it right there in the banner at the very top, uh, his early warning report. So very worth checking out. Okay, well, we'll have to do that. Um, Okay, so what caught my eye, uh, and, and the reason I wanted to have you on today, was an article titled, The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, and uh, at the start of that article, you refer to uh, you refer to a humorous movie you saw some time ago uh, called uh, "Titled The Russians Are Coming." Talk to us about that about that movie and uh, why yeah. uh, the idea of the Russians coming might not be such a such a humorous thing after all. But first of all, tell us about the movie, the plot. The movie is great. I I loved it. I saw it as a kid. It was made in the 1960s, and it's a fun little story about a Russian submarine that accidentally runs aground off the New England coast. This is during the Cold War, of course, and so the local residents see a Russian submarine and Russians coming ashore and panic and think they're being invaded. So there's a lot of fun antics that go along with it. So it's worth checking out if you need a movie for a Saturday night. But, uh, you know, it's really not a laughing matter what's really happening today with with what Russia is doing, or at least their central bank. And that is the big news, and, and I'm sure many of your uh, listeners have heard of it before, but in April, which was just their, the, uh, reported last month, they dumped literally half of their treasury holdings out of their central bank reserves. It was a phenomenal, um, extreme action that we just haven't seen before um, to, to dump that. If you look at a chart, and many of these journalistic reports didn't even put a chart to it. That's the first thing I thought to do. And if you look at the chart in the article, you'll see, oh, there's a, you know, they have about $100 billion, there's $90 billion, there's $95 billion, then all of a sudden it goes down to $48 billion in, in mm-hmm. one month. So them dumping that much in treasuries is quite significant. Um, and I thought, well, maybe that's just a one-off. Maybe that's just one, you know, a one-time thing that they're going to do. And we don't have May data yet. I looked before it came on the air with you, and mm-hmm. the May data from them is not out. They, they tend to be, uh, you know, uh, like the Chinese. They don't, they're a little coy about when they report and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So we'll be mm-hmm. very interested to see what happened in May. But the point is, this is actually part of a bigger trend. Since 2011, Russia has been dumping treasuries regularly. Uh, they had over $150 billion in U.S. treasuries in 2011. Today they have 48. So mm-hmm. they have slashed in the past seven years by two-thirds their treasury securities and their reserves. So they're, you know, this, this big drop was significant, but it's actually part of a bigger trend that that Russia is doing in getting rid of treasuries. I think it's interesting that uh, we hear a lot on the media these days about how evil Russia is and how much of a danger they are to us. They're hacking our uh, computer systems, supposedly. They're hacking the DNC, and they're out there to help Trump get elected and all this, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you never hear anything about this, though, do you, Jeff, about the no, monetary you don't. That's stuff. a good point. I actually think this is a... a a bigger issue, and it's more of a stealth issue because it isn't really reported all that much, and it and it can have consequences. This is not consequence free what they're doing if this trend were to continue or pick up steam. And it's not just Russia, by the way. 
Uh, Turkey sold half of their U.S. Treasury holdings just since last November. Norway sold 40% of their U.S. Treasury holdings since September. In the same month, Russia dumped half of their holdings. Japan sold holdings. China sold. Ireland sold. The U.K. sold. Switzerland sold. All of these countries are selling U.S. debt. Now, in the big picture, if you look at a chart of total holdings, you know, they're, they're not all that significant, um, mm-hmm. it, you know, in total. But mm-hmm. it is significant what Russia and Turkey and Norway are doing. And again, it can have consequences if this uh, trend continues or especially if it picks up steam. Mm-hmm. I'd like to ask you uh, what you think some of the motives are, aside from the fact that treasuries are still ridiculously underpriced, undervalued. Um, that is, they're overvalued. They're, the, the rates they're paying are, are way below, I think everybody would agree, way below where the normal equilibrium rate would be if you if you could decide such a thing in a world in which endless amounts of money been, can be created uh, endlessly. But uh, aside from unattractive interest rates, what might be some of the motives? Because as I look over, I mean, we can talk about Russia, but some of these other countries, Japan, Ireland, UK... Switzerland, um, very friendly to us. Turkey might be another story. Seems to be uh, growing hostility towards the United States for reasons we could perhaps talk about. Norway, I would think, is a friend of the U.S. So it doesn't seem as though it's geopolitical reasons entirely, at least with most of these countries. Uh, what do you think is going on? Uh, well, let's, let's just well, focus on Russia, perhaps, uh, since that's the topic. Well, with Russia, in their particular situation, it, it could be retaliatory. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it could be, a, you know, they're trying to counter the U.S. sanctions. Uh, mm-hmm. They may be trying to punish us because of that. Maybe They may be dumping because of that. And it has been going on since 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably part of it, but I don't think that's all of it. It could be partly financial need. It mm-hmm. could even be a dress rehearsal in, in concert with China to see how the U.S. markets would react to a sale of treasuries. Um, but I think the point here is that the motivation behind it doesn't really matter because mm-hmm. the effects are the same. Mm-hmm. The fallout of this would be just the same whether or not, you, you know, the, the, the uh, motivation is retaliatory or not. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's worth talking about. We should probably talk about that. Because, yeah, absolutely. You know, wh- let's, let's, let's talk about the repercussions. The United States is running... Uh, with under Trump, I think uh, David Stockman was talking about it on this show some time ago, about $1.2 trillion. At the same time, the Fed is pulling back something like $600 billion out of the market to try to downside its balance sheet. So at a time when uh, when more than ever the U.S. needs needs the you know friendliness of, of, of foreigners, of, uh, they seem to be people, these countries seem to be pulling away. So let's talk about uh, some of the repercussions, if you would. Well, if this uh, treasury selling trend, if you want to call it that, if that continues from the international community, um, there would definitely be consequences. First of all, interest rates would have to rise mm-hmm. um, just simply to make the you know, treasuries more attractive. Um, you, you, and by the way, this is a good point that uh, I think some in your audience may be aware of, but most people in the mainstream don't know. The Fed does not control interest rates. Right. <laughs> That's very That's right. a controversial statement, perhaps. They, yeah. they um, set interest rates. 
mm-hmm. but ultimately they don't control them. And mm-hmm. that's because if something happens to where uh, inflation rises or uh, you begin to print money and devalue the dollar, which, of course, is the linchpin of a U.S. bond, um, or there's a uh, concern of default, or other countries are selling treasuries, and so therefore you've got to get out too because they're losing value. Mm-hmm. Any of these factors can force the Fed to raise rates beyond what they may want to otherwise do simply because they have to make it more attractive uh, for countries to buy our debt. And mm-hmm. it's a serious issue because the amount of debt that we're trying to sell is at the highest level in U.S. history. We sold more debt in Q1 of this year than ever before in the history of America. And it's yeah. only going to keep going higher. There's, right. there's very few analysts I can find out there that say, oh, yeah, but our debt's going to go down. No, <laughs> our debt's going to go up. So they have yeah. to not only keep making it attractive, they have to make it attractive enough to sell even more debt than what they've been doing. So the first consequence is that interest rates could be forced up regardless of what the Fed may want to do. Um, the U.S. dollar, uh, the value of the U.S. dollar on the international uh, marketplace would fall. Inflation would rise. Um, the U.S. could default. Uh, that, that's unlikely, but uh, because I think they would return to money printing before they would actually default on a payment. But money printing, again, if they did another value, you know, round of QE or something or were forced to do that, that would lower the value of the bond because it's based on a U.S. dollar. Uh, so they would have to raise rates to make it more attractive because the dollar's worth less, the bond is worth less. So all of these things would impact not just U.S. citizens and everyone who uses the U.S. dollar, but it would affect all investors, and it would, uh, you know, uh, affect gold investors as well. You know, the theme of your show, turning hard times into good times, this would be a hard time. If, if inflation mm-hmm. rises or the dollar falls or the bar market goes, those are going to be hard times. There's no way around that. But you can turn it into a good time by owning gold because there's only one direction the gold price would go if something like this really played out, and that's mm-hmm. higher. Well, I certainly uh, don't know about turning it into good times. That's the idea, of course. Uh, uh, my idea is that at least you'll be you'll feel less pain if you own gold. Most likely, financially at least, you'll feel less pain than if you don't right. own it. I, I would I would suppose that. Uh, you and and Michael uh, agree that silver also will be a good asset to own. Oh, absolutely! You know that that's more affordable to the masses. So I think there actually will be a bigger rush into silver than there will be to gold. Um, and silver has its own dynamics that are going on. Um, you know, it's such a small market and getting smaller all the time. <laughs> That uh, you know, it will be more volatile than than gold, uh, which means it will go higher, like it has many times in the past, than mm-hmm. gold will in the next. Uh, whether it's a bull market or some type of crisis environment where people literally rush into gold and silver, I think silver will easily outperform gold. Jeff, we've had interest rates on the rise. Uh, do you believe that? Uh, so, so what you're suggesting is this is really a, a function of the markets that the Fed might want everybody to believe that it's in charge, that it controls things. But in fact, uh, some of these things you're talking about right now, these other countries pulling away from treasuries, uh, might be forcing the Fed uh, not to pump money into the system as rapidly as other would otherwise might like to. Uh, or they want to downsize their balance sheet and pretend they can get back to some sort of normal environment after all the quantitative easings and so forth. But 
uh, rates have been rising, so you would suggest that they're rising. That's a function of the market, not the Fed, right? Well, I, I'm not saying it's not necessarily a function of the Fed right now. What I'm saying is a scenario exists that is a very real possibility of where, regardless of what the Fed may want to do, the market may demand higher interest rates, especially if we see inflation pick up, especially if they print money again. Um, these are, are big outcomes, big scenarios, um, but the risk of them happening is, is going higher all the time, and there's no way to just turn the ship around. Uh, we have to sell our debt, A, and B, the amount of debt we need to sell is getting higher and higher every quarter. It's, it's just mind-blowing to me how much debt we have to sell. So what I'm suggesting at, is that this is a trend to watch, um, not just what Russia is doing, but what other countries are doing as well. Because, mm-hmm. oh boy, it could be an ugly world if, if uh, we can't sell our treasuries and are forced to raise rates to make them more attractive for them to be sold. Um, and that's something that could happen very quickly. Um, you know, just like the surprise with what Russia did in April, uh, we could see something like that uh, take off very quickly. So, you know, for yeah. me, uh, I feel much better off financially by owning physical gold and silver than I do by, you know, buying bonds or something like that. Well, most certainly. Um, I, I, with, uh, with a little bit of time we have left here, uh Jeff, we, we're looking at Russia building up its gold reserves. China has building up its has been building up its gold reserves. Uh, as you say, they're a little bit coy. China and Russia both, uh, perhaps about exactly how much they own. A lot of people that I talk to believe that China owns an awful lot more gold than they're pretending they own. Uh, and then we have the Shanghai Petroleum Futures Exchange and the Shanghai Gold Futures Exchange. Uh, do you see China, Russia, Iran, some of these countries that are that are not the closest friends of the United States, shoring up their own gold reserves in part as a defensive move and a, as a move to perhaps become less dependent on the dollar and, and trying to set up their own financial system to a great extent so they don't have to be uh, cry-uncle to the United States all the time? Yeah. <laughs> yes. The, the point with that is that the mechanism is now in place. That program is set up, it's in place, and it can be used at any time. So they're not using it a whole lot yet, but it's already set up. And so they can turn to it any time they want. And I actually wrote about that, I think it was late last year or early this year when that news first came out, and did some projections on you know how much conversion they, uh, they might make from oil to gold. And... Uh, you know, in virtually any scenario, there's just not enough gold supply to go around if if these countries decide they, they want to convert some of those reserves to gold. So uh, there's another factor that we could spend a lot of time talking about. But the point there is that if if they do feel like they want to get out of the dollar and they make a concerted effort to do so, regardless of the reason, mm-hmm. uh, that that could impact the dollar very heavily and also, of course, be good for gold simultaneously. Mm-hmm. It's my understanding that it is in September is when the first uh, petroleum futures exchanges uh, expire. So some people are saying keep an eye on that date. Uh, could be very interesting. Uh, we'll it see. Could I mean, be very I mean, interesting. And September is a obviously, uh, as many people know, the best performing month of the year for gold. So for gold, right? Right. We we could see some fireworks that month. It'd be very. It, and that's only you know a month and a half away. So yeah. 
Exactly. No, no, it's hard, hard to say. Well, uh, with just a minute and a half uh, or so, about a minute left here, the tariffs, I think, um, my, my thinking is that the tariffs could actually also reduce the, the, the appeal of the dollar. And, and uh, as, uh, uh, as former Secretary of State Kerry warned, that if uh, the Iranian nuclear deal were trashed, uh, that would also prompt a lot of European countries, perhaps, to become less enamored by the dollar. Uh, any thoughts on those two uh, on those two ideas? Ideas with uh, with about a minute left, about thirty seconds left, actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I think either of those, those things could play out. I don't put a lot of stock into what a politician, you know, says publicly. Yeah, they have their course. own motives and self interest and that sort of thing. Um, but I, I think the U.S. dollar. Uh, clearly is at risk and is not, um, uh, you know, going to be able to sustain itself over a long period of time. I, I think the issue is do you want to denominate some of your savings in a, a physical hard asset or do you want to denominate it in a fiat currency that is losing and seeping value now and is likely to lose a lot of value in the future? All right. We'll have to leave it go at that, Jeff. Thank you so much for your insights. Very, very interesting. Uh, folks, go to goldsilver.com to catch up with Jeff and his uh, his his frequent uh, missives there. Thank you so much, Jeff, and uh, we'll hope to do it again sometime. Well, yep, folks, um, let, okay, excellent. Well, folks, that is all the time we have. Uh, next uh, week, I'm going to be talking to Keith Weiner. Uh, he'll be with me to talk about the state of Nevada passing legislation to begin issuing gold-backed bonds, and I'm also hoping to have David Jensen on with me to talk about. Uh, Trump's policies, which he thinks uh, are not as uh, ridiculous uh, as they might seem, given uh, the ideas and, and his uh, uh, and the people that voted for him. So it should be very interesting. Michael Oliver should be with me again as well. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Bonterra Resources, an advanced exploration company, is aggressively expanding its high-grade gladiator gold deposit in Quebec, Canada. Over the last 12 months, Bonterra has raised over $60 million and has attracted strategic investors Eric Sprott, Kirkland Lake Gold, and New York-based Vanek Gold Fund. Bonterra is focused on updating its 43-101 resource in the second half of 2018 and will incorporate up to an additional 100,000 meters of drilling, where the dimensions of the Gladiator deposit have been expanded to date nearly 500%. Bonterra trades in Canada under the symbol BTR and in the U.S. under the symbol BONXF. Often referred to as one of the best teams in junior gold exploration, having discovered a 5 million ounce gold mine and sold a second company amidst discovery, the management behind Orin Resources now has a world-class exploration portfolio within Canada and Peru. Projects that give the company one of the largest direct pipelines for major discoveries globally, with one of the deepest technical teams to explore them. Entering into its third year of aggressive pursuit, Orin is expecting results from two of their major projects throughout the rest of this year. For the latest, head to orinresources.com and subscribe.